brute force. If it doesn't work, you're just not using enough. You're listening to Software Radio, special operations military news, and straight talk with the guys in the community. Rep Radio on time, on target. I'm Ian Scotto. I'm here with Jack Murphy. And we're going to have Alex Hollings coming on. But I guess like two pretty big announcements today. I mean, the first of which we've been teasing for a while is that your book, Murphy's Law, has just hit shelves. Amazon, everywhere else, audiobook, actual uh, hard copy and everything. This is it. After months of waiting. And, you know, it feels like it's been a long journey. But, um, yeah, today is the publication date of the book. So I've been running around doing stuff for that. I'm going to be on, uh, well, it'll be in the past when people hear this, but I'm doing Andrew Wilkow's show today. Which, you know, I, I do know you can listen to On Demand. So if people are hearing it now, if, if you're a SiriusXM subscriber or um, want to do that trial membership, they have that as well. You can go on the app and, and listen back to it. Yeah, man. Um, so I've been doing a lot of stuff to promote the book. I'm really proud of it, really excited about it. Um, there's a lot of information. It was funny. I was actually, I was in Italy for four days. Yes, That's why which I, I, was, I, was I, I should ask week. about. And I'm just, I'll say it now for the guys uh, listening, the ambient city noise in the background, okay. ambulances driving by. It's because if I don't have the windows open and now that it's getting warm, it, it'll get super stuffy in here. So that's what you're it's hearing. Okay. But anyway. It's New York City ambiance. Yeah, um, Italy. Oh, well, I was in Italy and my, uh, my mother-in-law was, uh, was actually commenting to me because she was reading the book and she's like, Jack, like you have all these stories and all these things you did. And like, I had no idea, like you never talk about any of this stuff. And I've had other like friends and family members comment on that too. They're like, you know, like I had no fucking idea. And I was like, well, yeah, I mean, I'm just not the type of person. I don't like to go around like telling war stories all the time. You know, I, I feel the same way. And, and the irony of it is that like we, the only times, not the only times I mean, I see you outside of doing this, but for the most part, when I see you, it's, an hour or two of military talk. And <laughs> I've, ne- I, I've never heard you tell those stories. It is true. And, and some of them, I, and I want to ruin it for people who are going to read the book, I did hear rumors about, and people were like, is this true? Is that true? And I, it's not something I would ask you off air. And now that I've read the book, it's like, okay, you, you told your story as candid as you could. Oh, no, you should have just asked me. But um, yeah, it was uh, yesterday. It was kind of surreal because uh i was just on the you know on the interwebs right and i, I saw uh, all these pictures of pat tillman um and you know pat tillman of course was yep. an nfl star football player who gave up you know a multi-million dollar contract to go and join the army and become a army ranger he joined the ranger regiment uh and, and went into second ranger battalion and he was tragically killed in Afghanistan uh, in a friendly fire incident. Although the government lied to him about it, lied to his family. To the, yeah, initially they, they, they made it out like, you know, it was enemy contact. I mean, they were, they did get ambushed, but then Tillman was killed by uh, a, a 50 cal gunner on yeah. one of the Humvees. 
And uh, it, it was just surreal looking at all that because I'm like, you know, just the next day, today, my book comes out, which talks about some undisclosed information about the aftermath of the Tillman ambush, because I was a sniper on a small recce team in Afghanistan, and we were sent on the mission to go and recon the compound where the guy who planned the Tillman ambush, the terrorist who actually you know, launched that operation, uh, where he was at. So we went over there to, um, down to the Pakistan border to recon that target. And uh, unfortunately, the result of that was another friendly fire incident. Uh, it just kind of boggles the mind. And I was right in the middle of it. And uh, the book spends, you know, a good, you know, two chapters talking about it. You know, I talked to my former sniper partner. Uh, I talked to the assistant team leader on that recce team. And I talked to my uh, platoon sergeant at the time in Afghanistan. Um, my actual sniper platoon sergeant, uh, Sergeant Van Allist, was in Iraq at the time. Um Later on, uh, Van Allist went over um, and became a Delta operator, um, and he himself was tragically killed in a friendly fire incident by another operator. It's just one of those things is really hard to wrap your mind around mm-hmm. all this shit and how it happened. Um, and I, that ha- Van Allist was killed, I believe, in 2010, if I recall correctly. I was out of the Army by that point. It's just, um, I mean, you'll read about it in the book. It's, yeah. it's fucking surreal. Yeah, well, pick up the book. I, I I don't want to give too much away, and I don't think you do either, because people are going to want to read it. As you said, it gets into the action pretty quickly. A lot of books, the first third or so of the book is "This is my childhood." This is growing <laughs> up. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. It, I mean, it's like the the cliche that every book about seals is like the first half is about buds. Sure, yeah. I, I didn't want to do that in my case. Um, in the book, there's probably like ten pages about um, going through. Ranger indoctrination, special forces selection, ranger school, and the Q course. Like, that's like 10 pages of stuff yep. in the book. Like, I didn't want to focus on that because so many other people had written about it. So mm-hmm. I just tell some funny stories about stupid stuff I did. Yeah. And, uh, and we move on. Most of the, the book, I really try to focus on the highlights of combat operations and going overseas, reporting overseas, just like really interesting, zany <laughs> adventures and misadventures. Yeah, I, I think people are going to enjoy it, and it's going to separate itself from many of the other veteran books out there, which most of which you know are great. I'm not uh, bashing anyone, but I, I think yours is going to be different. Yeah, it's going to be very different. I think from most of the books that are out there. You know, I, I commented in the past that there are tropes that the military memoirs are a genre, and it becomes like one book becomes very popular and then everyone else feels obligated to fit themselves into that genre because they know that has gotten traction with the public. And, and by the way, it's like that with everything, right? Everything right, right. in America, just in it's general. a genre. Yeah. yeah. And the, the military memoir genre, unfortunately, a lot of it is, um, just some guy, you know, bragging about all the Brown people he killed in the middle East. Like, oh, yeah, I killed a Muslim, and then I killed another Muslim, then I killed another. It's like, Jesus Christ, really. Um, and then there's the subgenre, which is the opposite of that. It's the guy who became a whiny anti-war activist after the war, and now they're like, eh, Imperial America exploited my youth and sent me to kill and blah, blah. But my experience was neither of those things, and I think for most soldiers, their experience is neither of those things. It is not a glorified um, sort of flag-waving um, but it's also not a an anti-American kind of thing either. Mm. You know, our experience was something else. And I, I tried to show that in the book. 
as uh, one reader commented to me, another veteran, he said, you know, we were promised a lot of things were going to happen in this war, you know, things like victory, for instance, and none of that happened. And uh, the book really pointed that out for him. And I, I was glad that to see people take that away from the book, because I think it's uh, the book is pro-military, but it's also deeply skeptical about the war on terrorism and, and where we've gone over the last 17 years. All right. So then the other announcement that I wanted to make, and a lot of you have seen it, it's kind of blown up on my page. And, and the feedback has been very positive. Um, you know, I just wanted to let everybody know on social media first that I've made the decision uh, th- this is basically going to be my last month of shows here. And as I said in my post, I, you know, I don't need to reiterate everything, but I, I genuinely mean it when it's like these past seven years meeting everybody uh, from the writers of the site, the, the operators who worked at this at what was softrep.com, which became the newsrep.com and who've appeared on the podcast. There's so many guys. And then just the listeners, uh, this is the doing this show is the first time anybody ever came up to me out of the blue at places and would say, you're Ian from Softrep Radio. And I'm not saying that happens every day, but it has happened on occasion. And it reminds me like, holy shit, this show is making an impact. And like, yeah. there's people who commented that said, hey, I started listening you know, before I was in high school, now I'm in college, and it blows my mind. Like, yeah. we've, I've been doing this for seven years, nearly since the beginning, and I, I've loved what I've done. I just kind of want to move on to some different things in my life. Um, this, it, this is no surprise to anybody, but, like, the site has taken a little bit of a different direction in the company, and I'm just looking to do something else, probably in the radio field, but other things that I want to do as well. Um I was telling some people, like, this might seem out of left field, but, like, early 2018, I do have a passion for fitness, as I talked about on the last podcast with Doug and CJ. I was like, you know what? Just as a small thing on the side, I'd love to be a uh, NASM uh, certified personal trainer. So I started doing the self-study on the side and realized, like, holy shit, this is way harder than I expected because of, like, memorizing vocabulary, all that stuff. And I didn't have the motivation to do it because I was doing this. I was doing some voiceover on the side. And now I will actually have some time to do that. So that's something I want to do. I'm going to continue to do voiceover stuff. And I definitely don't rule out uh, Jack and I doing uh, another podcast at some point possibly because we we love to do this. But I'm just looking to do some other things right now. Yeah. No, I completely understand. And, uh, you know, I'm immensely proud of this podcast. And I I think you made it into what it is. Really. You know, I, I just kind of showed up and, and, you know, ask questions to people. And, Although you've been here before I was and, and yeah. you were doing the podcast, you know, before I was. Yeah, man. But, uh, you know, you made this thing what it is and um, just hundreds and hundreds of episodes and interviews. And it's been really incredible. And I'm, I'm really proud of, of the work we've done here. Me too. I think just to be real, um, as far as the website, like you mentioned, it going from soft rep to news rep to and now we're at a point where I don't even know what we do anymore. Um, just to be real about it, you know, I thought I knew for a long time. Now I'm at the point where I have no idea what we're doing with the website and the company is taking new directions. So, I mean, you have to make decisions about where we're going, where, where you're going collectively and where sure. you're going individually. And, and I also do want to mention that um, I'm on good terms with everybody. And I, and I really do thank Brandon Webb for bringing me on board here. And I've had so many great times with him, man. And him meeting me changed the direction of my life. And as I said to him, like, I'm in a better position now thanks to him. And I just randomly met him at Sirius. And it was just a thing yeah. where we hit it off and we got along and... 
I'll always be thankful that he brought me on board to do this full time. And I've loved doing it. I, there were, before I did this podcast, I probably knew a handful of military guys and veterans. I was not someone who read every single uh, military. Now, you know, way more of us than you ever wanted to. Yeah. I mean, now it's like <laughs> the people that commented on that. I wrote this and the people that have texted me like I consider guys like Dale Comstock and uh, mm-hmm. Quinn Emerson and, and uh, Chris Peranto and all those guys like friends of mine I don't see them every day, but I they're guys that I could text. Yeah, and, yeah talk to rob o'neill as well like it's pretty crazy when i'm able to say like the guy who was there in the room when you know bin laden was killed is a guy that i regularly talk to and and is an extremely nice guy so like uh, it's been an honor knowing everyone here and i i think also the that relationship happens because i don't put anyone i've met people in the music industry and the film industry and now doing this i don't put anybody at on such a pedestal that they're you know, like the greatest person of all. Uh, I, we're all just regular people. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think when you treat people on that human level and, and are um, authentic, you you end up just making relationships along the way. And I uh, I really hope that's something that people have taken away from from this podcast, actually, is that, you know, we, we've talked about and interviewed all sorts of people. Um, and you've, from listening to this podcast, people hear the good, the bad, and the ugly of this world, of the special operations world, the intelligence community, the military as a whole. Um, but I hope that's something they take away from it, that these guys are not supermen. They're not superheroes. They are regular people. Um, sometimes they do things that are downright heroic. Um, some of them, uh, you know, unfortunately, are absolute scumbags. Um, you know, we've covered military sexual assault and murder and all sorts of horrible things. But they're all human beings, and uh, they are human beings that are uh, taxpayer-funded, and we recruit and train and deploy these guys in our names as America, um, and people should be aware of that. Yeah, and, and I think you've done a great job at just covering things from a standpoint of being as objective as possible. Um, a lot of the military sites out there when they report on the Eddie Gallagher thing, for example, it's a lot of like, let's get behind this guy. You got to donate. And I think you've done a good job of saying like, I don't know this guy, but not so fast. Like these are stories of other seals saying, reporting what what they saw. And it, it, it might not be such a clear cut thing. Like let's wait until this trial happens. It, and for some reason saying that means, you know, you hate the troops, yeah. even though it's you not taking the side of, the troops accusing him and not taking the side of him necessarily and waiting till evidence comes out. That's called being a good journalist, reporting on things accurately. And I mean, I think that's the great thing about our criminal justice system is that it's a court of law and not a court of passions. And you can have a passionate opinion. That's OK, but that's not a fact. Yeah. Um, and I, I didn't, you know, since you brought up that specific case, I mean, I don't know the facts. I can tell you, you know, what I read and I, I can read the statements from the prosecutors and from the defense and it's not going to be a clear-cut case. I mean, it's going to be a, a, a hard-fought case Yeah. Um, next month. Yeah, May is when it, when the trial begins. But if it wasn't for what you and other guys at NewsRep have reported, the other sites out there, at least that I've seen, it's all like Navy SEAL railroaded, you know, this is injustice. And, well, and they, they do, that's clickbait. I mean, they do it because it, it, it 
speaks well to their audience. Yeah. You know, it's like going on Fox News and saying Donald Trump is the best or going on MSNBC. Or you said possibly going on and saying that Donald Trump endorses your book. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking of saying that, uh, you know, if you don't buy my book, you hate the troops. But uh, or going on MSNBC and saying Donald Trump is a Nazi. It's like you're just pandering to your audience at that point. You're not even trying to tell them the truth or, or even trying to be objective. Yeah. Well, um, I, Don, we Donald sh- Trump really does love my book, though. <laughs> I, I, I just wanted to point that out. Do, he's he's uh, tweeted about uh, Tony Tata's book, who's been on here, General AJ Tata, that he, that he endorses it. So he does tend to endorse things that go on Fox and Friends. Actually, I mean, we all do know he watches Fox and Friends, and we'll hopefully see you on there. Should so. I look right into the camera <laughs> and be like, Donald Trump, you will love this book, <laughs> President Trump? It's the one time he may be listening to you, <laughs> President Trump. We know he watches every morning. He tweets about it, so. We probably should. President Trump, this is the best book in America ever. <laughs> Do it. Um, but I, we will be here for, you know, the rest. Of the, I'll, I'll be here at least. You know, you'll continue to be here the rest of the episodes this uh, m- coming month. And we have some great guests booked. So, you know, don't think this is like a final show or anything. Uh, Bob Barrett, next episode, which I'm really excited that's gonna for. That's going to be interesting. Yeah, to me, in our world at least, that's as A-level as it gets. And he loves to talk about different things and uh, told me that he'd really like to talk about guys in the intelligence world and contractors working for governments that are hostile towards us, which I know he's very disgusted by it. I'd love yeah. to hear his take on it. Yeah, well, I mean, we've covered some of these things, you know, uh, in various times on the podcast um, about former soft guys primarily going and, in, in, you know, working freelance work in countries like uh, the UAE or Yemen or wherever. And I, I'm really interested to hear what Bob's take on it is. Yeah, and I think he may have uh, more to say as well about guys in his field. Yeah, and and, and he's right. There's a, there's quite a few. Yeah, as well as uh, we've talked about it on the show before too, Eric Prince. And he, I mentioned Eric Prince to him on the call when I asked if he wanted to come on. And I could tell he had a lot to say about that as well, about what Eric Prince is doing in China. It's going to be interesting. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that. Um, but anyway, before we get to Alex, I, I forgot to actually say this at the top of the show. I did want to mention this, this show is brought to you by Airdrop, and that's our new section on Crate Club where you can find essential gear and killer apparel that you can buy separately from our monthly and quarterly club subscriptions. That's some great stuff on there that's heavily discounted, but a lot of these items sell out quick, so you really got to act now. Um, I, you know what? I wrote down what we still have at the site, but some of this stuff is sold out now. So like those NFW watches the uh, Cry Precision Ballistic Soft Armor inserts, the uh, Crate Club Fishing Sphere. Some of that might still be up. Some of it might be sold out. So just go to store.crateclub.us to check it all out. That's store.crateclub.us. And with that, back on the show, actually for a first time in uh, in a while, is Alex Hollings, as you guys know, writer at the News Rep, uh, writer also at the Loadout Room, former Marine, uh, although I, you know, so the, the only person who broke my balls about this recently was when I said former Navy SEAL to Kristen Beck. And Kristen Beck's like retired Navy SEAL. And I was like, I think as long as you don't say X, you're fine, right? But, uh, bro, I, I don't even, <laughs> I, I don't even know. That, that's like the, uh, that former X thing. That's kind of like the gender pronouns of special operations or of the so, military. I, so then you could tell why uh, Kristen Beck would be offended. Too, I tell you what, the fastest way to get a Marine to try to fight you at a bar is call him a former or an ex Marine. And really? I don't get I really, because well, there's you know there's that old saying there's no former Marines, right? The problem is is that you know I've been out for four, going on five years. 
I've got a big old beard. I certainly don't look like an active duty Marine. So there, I, there is the need for a qualifier that shows that I'm not an active duty <laughs> Marine. When I introduce myself, I'm not going to be like, hey, man, I'm a Marine because I'm clearly fat and hairy. You but know, but like, you would say you would say retired Marine, right? Well, I, I technically am a retired Marine, but because I was medically retired after only about seven years, I don't say retired either because I didn't earn a retirement the way these guys who do 20 plus years earn a retirement. I just blew my knees out and got sent home. I always you know? so so I, I usually just say I was a Marine. I mean, it's the easiest way. I don't, I don't know what you think about this, Alex, but I always found it a little weird. Like I've been invited to events and stuff like that. And they're like, yeah, you need to wear your uniform. And it's like, I have been, and I, that's not going to happen. And it's like, that's, dude, I'm not in the army. Any, like, is that even legal? Like, to you know, like prance if, around? I worked at Skip Barber Racing for a long time. And if somebody was like, hey, I want you to come to this event, and I need you to wear the polo shirt that says Skip Barber Racing and the slacks from when you worked there, I would say no. I don't work there anymore. <laughs> it's the same. I'm not an active duty Marine. I don't represent the Marine Corps. I'm yeah. not going to wear a uniform. Yeah, I always found that weird. Like, you get invited to these events. You got to wear your class A's and like, like what? Like, I first bar- of all, <laughs> um, there's no way in hell I'm gonna fit back into my dress. Yeah. I could fit. I could fit into my old uniform probably, but it's just like, dude, I'm not in the army anymore. Like, get over it. Yeah, you know? that would that would feel weird. But I remember. So if you listen back to that episode, what Kristen Beck said was, uh, I think Kristen said there are no ex Navy SEALs. And then uh, Kristen was like, actually, if someone like takes your trident away for something that you did, which I've seen happen, then you're an ex-Navy SEAL. SEAL. So I get that. When I was on active duty, I used to always tell my Marines that the Eagle Globe and Anchor, which is, you know, a a point of pride for us as Marines, you have to earn it every day. Like you were you were given it at the end of boot camp, but you need to carry yourself as a Marine every day in order to be a Marine in my eyes. Now that I'm no longer on active duty, I really I don't. I don't uh, once again earn my Eagle Gloman anchor every day. You know, I'm doing a completely different line of work. I'm not living the ideals of the Marine Corps. I'm trying to live by a different set of ideals now. So I don't. I don't think it's fair for me to say that I represent the Marine Corps. Yeah, you know, that, I, I mean, represent something else entirely now. So you know? retired Marine and author Alex Hollings. But uh, <laughs> the the first thing that I know you wanted to touch on, and and I know oftentimes Jack, you feel like the media talks way too much about this one Congresswoman, which I understand. But since this is in our wheelhouse, uh, Alexandria Ostasio Cortez calling the saying about the VA, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And basically endorsing the treatment there. That's the weirdest fucking statement I've ever heard in my life. I am at a loss. <laughs> we, I, the Alex, didn't like in the last like month, we had like three guys down in Austin, Texas, kill themselves in the VA there. Like just shoot right themselves. Here in Georgia. One of them was at the VA that I was at just a few days prior. Uh, one of them was in, in Austin, Texas. A guy actually shot himself in the VA waiting room. World-class uh, healthcare. Yeah, the two that did it in Georgia were both in the parking lot. What the uh, fuck? Do you think it's possible and we're not she's... talking about this is ever. This is this month. Yeah, These yeah. three guys did it over the span of five days, like two weeks ago. Yeah. Do, do you guys think it's possible she's unaware of it because yeah, of the fact I, that I think she's, she's... unaware of a lot of things. She's someone yeah, who's very exactly focused right. on, on like climate change and those type of issues. Maybe veterans' issues are just not on her for, radar. For her, in her mind, it's like big government is the answer. It's a good thing. Like we, her, She thinks we need to be more like East Germany or something like that. So in her mind, a nationalized healthcare system like VA is like the greatest thing to ever fucking happen but those of us you know who have actually been to va hospitals and i've had mostly good experiences but i can tell you having used commercial health care on commercial health insurance like it is also like night and day 
Uh, well, I can tell you this. My experience going to that same VA, uh, it's right outside of Atlanta. I think it's in Decatur, uh, the Atlanta VA hospital that one of these suicides just took place at. I was there about a week prior, a little less than, because uh, you guys know we've talked about it before. I've got this problem with my eyes Yeah. Uh, where occasionally I just kind of go blind, you know, and uh, it's an ongoing thing. I've been getting treatment for a long time. So uh, it previously it had always just been in my right eye uh and like a month ago or so i woke up one morning with it in both eyes and i couldn't see hardly anything so i freaked out you know because going blind is terrifying it's much more upsetting i think than i can really convey because you don't realize how much you're connected to the world around you by vision you know it would be uh, like losing a leg would be something like you could kind of like deal with but going blind like honestly i've used that analogy before because you know i've had a lot of injuries so i had a lot of surgeries on you know both knees uh one of my ankles so i've spent time in a wheelchair i spent a lot of time on crutches obviously uh i would be i would sooner uh lose a limb or even two than my vision which i realize is an insensitive thing to say to someone who's lost a limb but man i'm i'm terrified of going blind genuinely and uh so I got on the phone to call the VA to like try to get in to see a doctor there at the at the eye clinic. I was on hold for probably two hours before I was able to reach someone. But in their defense, I was like, I woke up blind and I'm terrified. And they said, all right, we have an opening today at 1400. Uh, I need you to get here right away. You know, so I took the rest of the day off from work, drove to the VA, which is about an hour and a half from my house. Well, you when drove got, or your wife drove? My you? wife drove. Okay, I'm just checking. Wife. Just checking. My wife drove with my poor daughter in the car, and oh. I will not bring my wife and daughter into a VA hospital. I won't do it. Uh, they're they're jam-packed with people with strong emotions that are yeah. going through real big problems. Yeah. Uh, there's not a chance. So I needed them to just drop me off and then just stand by until I get seen, you know? So I got into the waiting room, and for the first hour that I waited, there wasn't even an open chair in the waiting room. I waited standing with a, a number of us were standing for the first hour. Then it started to clear out a little bit. So I was able to get into a chair, but then, you know, an older veteran was standing. So I gave my chair up. I ended up waiting for a little over three hours. I had a chair for maybe an hour of it to see a doctor for 10 minutes. Excuse me. First, I saw a tech that dilated my eyes and all that stuff. Then I waited in another 45 minutes. Then I saw a doctor for about 10 minutes who said, well, there's nothing we can really do for you today. I want you to come back in six weeks and tell me if it's worse and sent me on my way. All told, I was at the VA hospital for about six hours for me to spend 10 minutes with a doctor who said they couldn't help me and send me home. It's just a very stark comparison when when you've experienced both because, I mean, going to VA, just trying to make an appointment at VA, you got to call a number. Then you got to f- fuck around on the uh, on the touchtone phone, figure out which department you need to get to. I spent like an hour one time on that automated phone system. And when I finally got where it was supposed to go, they said uh, they couldn't, couldn't make appointments because the system was down. And uh, <laughs> I'm tell- the VA system, the phone system is just like if you've ever called an embassy, they work the same way. Like they work in circles to try to keep you from reaching a person. Now, so it's like press this button to get this recording that'll tell you to press a different now, button. For by a different by comparison, if you have health insurance, you can go online and there are all these websites and like they you search for doctors in your area and they they have like ratings, you know, mm-hmm. if that matters to you, you know, like, you know, stars and uh, you find one you like, you book an appointment. It literally takes like five fucking minutes. 
Yeah, you're done. And I mean, it's I, it's important to note. Yeah, our healthcare system is all kinds of jacked up. Yeah, oh, yeah. I can sure. tell you the because this is with this job, I don't have healthcare as opposed to when I did, and the amount I'm paying to to just pay for healthcare outside of your career it's it's a lot I, I actually recently canceled my health insurance because i was paying a lot of money and it gave me shit coverage um yeah. and, and i didn't even have dental when i went i don't I'm have like, dental i'm like what the fuck dental's a lot it yeah. is yeah i don't have dental I, either which I, is i need to get it now because my wife's got a problem she needs addressed and that's how i decide that i need insurance is i'm gonna go try to hunt down some dental insurance to sign up for because now i need it yeah i could i could tell you my, at my former employer when i was able to just go to the dentist and they're like cool it's uh, you know it ended up being like i don't know 20 dollars for certain things i was like this is amazing and now not having uh, health insurance through my employer it's a whole nother world when you need something totally mundane done and they're like yeah that's a 500 hundred dollar copay like, oh man what? I, an x-ray it cost you 600 bucks i learned oh, firsthand because my wife yeah. needed an x-ray just recently on her jaw it was 600 dollars and I'll you tell know? you, I mean, thankfully, my uh, my daughter had health insurance through my ex-wife. This this happened years ago. She, uh, my daughter, got an infection and was in the hospital. I remember this for like six days, I think, five or six days. When the bill comes in the mail, seventy thousand dollars. Are you still paying that off? No, no, we, it was through health insurance. So, got you. So got they you. picked up most of the tab. We, we, but that, paid, we paid but a couple ludicrous. hundred dollars. Oh, right? okay, but, that, okay. but that's an idea of the kind of price tag you're looking at sure, of how sure. how screwed up our medical system yeah. currently. And both of my parents, you know, my father passed this past year, but prior to that, both of my parents worked their whole lives in the healthcare industry. And I, I want to be clear that I don't hold VA doctors and nurses accountable for how bad the VA is. You know, like. They're hopelessly understaffed. That are incredibly overworked. The same thing with our overall healthcare industry. Sure. It's not these individual healthcare providers that are the problem. It's the system isn't working right. But that doesn't mean we need to throw the system away for this single payer plan. That uh, one thing a lot of people don't think about is how it would collapse. You know, a solid third of our economy that is currently healthcare based. Yeah, a lot of people are employed by this broken machine. And if you replace that broken machine overnight with a new machine, broken or not, those people need work. You know? So what, what was your take then on, on Ocasio-Cortez's uh, comments about VA? Well, you know, I, it seems to me, and I, I think Jack and I are on the same page about this, this, she's an excellent example of someone who gets a great deal of attention but is more flash than substance. You know, she, I, I'd be much more interested in seeing her actually accomplish something and then trying to grade her based on her performance rather than the headlines she's able to garner through Twitter. But uh, it seems to me that this is a great example of her talking without knowing what the hell she's talking about, which I want to be clear is not something I assign only to her. Sure. You know, it's I genuinely believe that she's just the democratic response to the Donald Trump approach to politics, which is it's more about what you can get the people to think than it is about what's actually happening. Right. Yeah, well said. I, I think it is true, and you see it on both sides. Um, and then the other topic that we wanted to cover is an F-35 missing off the coast of Japan, which you're about to write about. Yeah, well, so this F-35 went down here uh, earlier this month. It's the second time an F-35 has been a total loss in the history of the program. There may be problems with the F-35, but them going down has not been one of them. They tend to be reliable aircraft. Uh, however... These F-35s in Japan were actually built by Mitsubishi, not hmm. by Lockheed Martin production facilities. That's and they have been riddled with problems. Uh, that, that's a part of the story that hasn't really been talked about much in the press. 
But there's only been, I think, 13 of these F-35s built in the Mitsubishi plant, and they've had seven emergency landings in the past month, uh, maybe six weeks now, uh, of just those aircraft. You know, And one of them was this F-35 that went down. This would actually be the third time it had some sort of an, an issue or a failure during flight operations of that same one airplane, you know, uh, which I think is likely why the pilot didn't eject. I think that this was probably the third time that this same aircraft had this this or a similar issue, and he thought that he could get a handle on it. He had been able to limp it back to the airstrip uh, in each of the two previous times, either him or a different pilot in the same aircraft. So I really think that because Japan only has 13 of these airplanes, because they cost about $100 million a piece, because they're such an important part of their defense strategy against China, I think that he was willing to give his life effectively to try to get this airplane back to the airstrip to get it up and running again, which is tragic because he's still missing, you know? That's horrible. Uh, yeah, you know, but uh, the, the more pressing concern, I think, for a lot of people is the idea that China or Russia might be able to get their hands on large components of the wreckage. Uh, you don't think they already have, like, the entire design of that airplane and probably, like, physical pieces? Oh, they 100% have the entire design. Yeah. Uh, a man named Su Bin was actually, uh, he's doing prison time right now for providing China with the technical schematics for both the F-22, the F-35, the C-130J, and a number of other uh, American military aircraft. That's what the J-20 effectively is. Right. Is it's what they built using those specs. Uh, but there's a lot that you can't glean from a blueprint, right? Uh, for instance, our stealth coating uh, that we apply to the aircraft is supposed to be significantly advanced over China's and certainly over Russia's. Mm -hmm. uh, so that, that coating, if they were able to reverse engineer that, it could really bolster their stealth endeavors. Russia still hasn't quite figured out how to build a stealth airplane, even though they call the Su-57 a stealth airplane. Uh, if you look at it up close, you can see gaps in the body panels, just like you get in a cheap car. It's like a Hyundai Elantra, you know? Those gaps will produce radar uh, returns, you know? So China and China needs an engine. Russia needs to learn how to stealth. Both of them could feasibly benefit a great deal from getting their hands on, on elements of this aircraft. Uh, and it's not an unheard of thing, you know? Uh, the Soviet K-129, uh, 129 submarine that went down, I think, in 74, the CIA spent, you know, the equivalent of $4 billion trying to recover that submarine covertly. Yep. Uh, they ended up, I think, pulling up like a third of it, but the other two-thirds collapsed back down into the ocean. Yeah, the J.G. Ballard uh, expedition to find the Titanic was like part of the cover for that. Yeah, which is, uh, I love that story. It's incredible. But it just goes to show that when it comes to trying to develop, I mean, the F-35 is a solid example I, I would liken it to like building car terms. The first time I ever tried to build a race car was a turbocharged Eagle Talon when I was like 16. And I probably spent three times as much as I needed to to get it to do what it ended up doing because I didn't know what the hell I was doing. That's where China and Russia are right now when it comes to building fifth generation fighters. The, if they can get their hands on elements of this F-35, it could help them develop a more effective strategy in fielding their own fifth generation platforms. That said... I'm sure Japan and the United States are actively trying to prevent this. I'd imagine that there's a great deal of submarine activity in that vicinity right now uh, with U.S. flags on the shoulders of the guys driving those subs. Mm. Uh, but I'm sure that there are Russian and Chinese subs in the area. You know, 
it's interesting how that works, how we develop these technologies to get a, a, a you know, a jump on the enemy. And uh, inevitably, they fall into the enemy's hands, either because of espionage or, like you said, in, in this case, you know, a jet goes down, a piece of equipment gets captured on the battlefield, and then they reverse engineer it and use it against us. National security is like the Batman-Joker axiom. It really is. Uh, <laughs> Batman puts on a mask, so then the bad guys start putting on masks, right? Batman gets a bat wing, so the bad guys start flying jetpacks. Uh, it's a we can't stop it. It's a continuous process, but that's really how it works. It's all about not even really about what you can actually do in a fight. It's more about what you can say you would do during diplomatic negotiations. Yeah, it's all it's about being bolstering. able to apply pressure. Yeah. So are you uh, writing an article on this for the news rep or any of the sites? Yep, yep. You'll see it on news rep. I'd imagine probably either today or tomorrow. Uh, it's already submitted. Uh, I'm just oh, waiting perfect. for the copy editors to translate my my garbled <laughs> English into something that's presentable. <laughs> so, yeah. So th- by the time this is up, people will probably be able to check it out. And, and if it's up by the time I uh, edit this all together, I'll I'll link to it. But uh, yeah, you'll likely be able to find pieces I've written about both this F-35 and AOC showing her ass regarding nice. VA healthcare. care <laughs> uh, by the time this goes up. Nice, man. No, I love hearing your take on all this type of stuff, especially because you're, you know, an enthusiast of aviation, although, you know, you don't fly or anything, but but it's something that's always interesting. No, something about being blind makes guys unwilling to let me fly (laughs) their airplanes. I don't know. I don't know if you want to get in that F-35 anyways. Yeah, right. I'll be honest with you. I I think the F-35 is an awesome, awesome airplane, uh, but uh, I think I would actually be much more interested in flying an F-22, given the opportunity. Well, you know? Oh, yeah, the F-22 is fucking awesome. Right? I, that, that's a cool airplane. Well, it's like I was telling, who's a dude we had, that 14 pilot we had on the other day? Oh, Paco. Paco, and, yeah, yeah, Paco's and, a great guy. And I was like, man, like, you're going to make a, a remake of the Top Gun? Like, you can't make that movie about an F-35. Like, it just can't be done. You know, the F-4, I actually, a little bit of insider baseball here. I'm currently writing a piece specifically about why the F-14 is such a badass airplane for popular mechanics. And uh, I managed to make it like 2,000 words in before I even mentioned Top Gun, which I think is my greatest (laughs) writing accomplishment to date. (laughs) Well, (laughs) look, man, it's, I know it's sacrilege. I know it's sacrilege, but the 1911 is the best pistol ever made. I said it there, there. There it is. That's, I, that's a sex. That's a sexy you, gun. One. I've got Glocks too, but I do love a 1911. And uh, yeah, if you guys want to listen back to that episode, it's uh, Paco Chiarici. He was just recently on. Uh, great, great interview. But yeah, I think that about covers it because we got some emails we want to get to and some other stuff. So if I remember correctly, because this is off the top of my head, at Twitter uh, on Twitter at Alex Hongs fifty two, right? That's correct, yes, sir. And at Archetype fifty two on Instagram. And you can find me on Facebook at Alex Hollings Writer. Nice. And you have a website too, right? I do, alexhollings.com. I put a whole lot of time into uh, making it look clean and professional for the 13 people a year that stop by. <laughs> so feel free, feel free to check it out and let me know what it's you the think. Same, it's the same with my website. I like put a blog uh, post up on there last night for like the first time in six months or something. You know, it's so much easier to, to reach me on social media that sure. the only time I ever get uh, contacted via my website is almost always some older gentleman who's furious <laughs> and wants to send me a strongly worded email. Uh, but I'm happy to hear from anybody, whether you're angry at me or not, you know, it keeps me on my toes. So feel free to reach out anytime. And, and I should mention your book is still available if people want to pick it up on Amazon. Absolutely. I spent, you know, a whopping two or three days on the Amazon bestsellers list. Hell yeah. But, but, 
I'm happy to get back there anytime. So uh, check it out. My book is called The Perception Wars, How Influence Shapes Conflict. And you can find it uh, for the Kindle or in paperback on Amazon. But awesome. much more importantly than that is Jack Murphy's new book. <laughs> yes. That went on sale today. And you should all pick up a copy of. If you love the troops, you will get this book. Listen, my first name is dropped in that book. I've seen it already. So that's reason enough for everybody <laughs> yes. to go buy it just so that they can see Alex Howlick's name. Well, it's my first name. Just you can put the Howlick, write it in. I'm more I, important. I got I got my full name in the thank you. So thank it was, you? It was the, yeah, it was it's funny because it says like thanks to Alex Scott and then and it just says Ian Scotto. It's like everybody's first name, but then my full name. And I feel like wow, I'm an important guy. You guys guy. aren't yet on a first name. It basis. doesn't. It, it, it even says <laughs> Brandon. It doesn't say Brandon <laughs> Webb, but I'm Ian Scotto. I can't remember no. why I wrote it like that. Because I'm important. I, I think <laughs> I, I think it's just like I know all you guys personally, so I just like wrote down your first names. I think you no, might I just actually, be used I to really me to saying my full name on the show. Oh, um, Ian Scotto yeah. on time <laughs> on target. <laughs> I really do want to say, uh, genuinely, I really appreciate the shout out, though, man. It really did mean a lot to me. No, Thank of you course, for that. it means a lot to me that we, you know, we worked together, um, you know, for a long period of time, and I, uh, you know, I've seen people come and go through our doors, yep. and, um, you know, some, uh, I, I mean, some of some people who don't work here anymore, I mean, I still think are really good guys, and I thank them for, you know, all of their hard work and their contribution, absolutely, yeah, and, um, and so I tried to throw all their names on there, as many of them as as I could come up with. Um, you know, at the time, I'm sure I left somebody out somewhere. Sorry. Yeah. yeah sorry to whoever that, but it's important is that it wasn't me, you know? So. <laughs> <laughs> well, as always, man, thanks. And, uh, I will talk to you soon. Always great having you on here. Yeah. It's been a real pleasure, man. Thanks a lot. Thanks Alex. Yeah. Take care, man. Talk to you guys later. Always appreciate Alex coming on, especially cause he kind of stepped in last minute. Yeah, there. no, that's cool. Um, but with that, I do want to get into some emails here cause we've got a whole bunch. Um, what time actually do you have to get out of here? I need to be at Sirius at one fifty. Oh, all right. So we should probably wrap up. Should we just do a quick one or do, do a couple? Yeah. Do a know? couple quick ones. Um, so I'll save some of these bigger ones for another time then. Um, It'll probably take me like 15, 20 minutes to walk. Yeah, exactly. You know, and you want to get there early. So this is a uh, quick one uh, that's actually correcting something I said from the last episode. And I'm always, that's always fine if you correct me uh, on something that I was wrong on. So uh, this is from an anonymous source. you do, uh, he says to, to Ian Scotto, you do have to have a degree to be a petroleum engineer. The term petroleum engineer is a broad term. Generally, it refers to reservoir engineers and operations drilling engineers. Operations engineers tend D- to have Did a you background. say you don't need a degree to I be did. an engineer? I, I said petroleum engineer, and it was you, you guys have to understand. I know Jack does. Like We're talking. It's kind of off the cuff, and I should have just said you know, a lot of guys work in the oil industry. Without an engineer, because my my not as an engineer, sorry, work in the oil industry, right? Without right. a degree on, on oil rigs and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah, my point was there's a lot of high paying jobs out there that may be risky, but you don't need to go to college sure, for. Sure, and a lot of those are in the oil industry. And I think just because I'm not into that industry, I just think of the term petroleum engineer. And yeah, but yes, this guy's correcting <laughs> me. So, um, uh, reservoir engineers tend to have a background in either specifically uh, in petroleum engineering or in electrical engineering. One is more tangible and one is more mathematical or, three, or theoretical. Most of the top engineers in oil and gas originate from Texas A&M, University of Texas, and Colorado School of Mines. In today's age, there's no way to rise to those levels of white-collar profession without some sort of an engineering degree. True, there are many well-paying jobs in the oil and gas, uh, in oil and gas, which do not require a degree. That's what I was really.
really getting at. Uh, however, a full-fledged engineer in oil and gas is not one of them. Even in geology, there are very few who can rise to a serious level without a master's degree, and certainly not any large company. Those days have long passed. So, yeah, my point being with the last episode with CJ and Doug was just that we, we were kind of getting into college and debt, and not everybody has to go to college and go into debt to get a well-paying job. I mean, a lot of people going to college and go into debt um, and get shit-paying jobs, if a yep, job. So absolutely. That was kind of my point. But I, I do appreciate you um, making that correction. This Israel thing, we're going to get to another time because it's too long. Um, and I have an article attached that my friend sent to me that I want to get into. So we'll, we'll probably get into the next episode if we do. I mean, Bob Bear, okay. that'll go along too. Um, these are two shorter ones, though. All right. Uh, hey, guys, I wanted to ask you all where I can go find some reliable sources on con- on the conflict in Syria. Sp- Murphy's Law out today <laughs> on bookshelves everywhere. <laughs> uh, especially content that covers the conflict beginning in 2011 and the early years of the war before ISIS became a big deal. I'm working on a project to analyze the Assad regime and the rebels in an objective, authentic way. And then he says here, I'm not pro-Assad, but I'm not Charles Jihad Lister either. <laughs> Jack, and he says Jack will get the reference. I get the reference too. Uh, thanks, uh, Sean Hastings from Atlanta. Uh, um, no, that's a good question. Um, I don't think there has been like a good authoritative book or account written about the Syrian civil war yet. Um, it hasn't happened, and, and it's going to be very, very hard to write that book. Because um, Syria was for so long just a black hole without reliable information out there. And there are these organizations out there who claim to be doing open source intelligence like Bellingcat who think they have the whole war on lockdown and they're trying to own it. But there's just, there's just a lot that isn't known and a lot of people pretending that they know things to be factual when really they it's just presumption. But anyway, my point is that it's very hard to write that book, but there are some people out there um, who are legitimate experts on Syria who wrote some very good commentary on what was going on in Syria before the war and in the run-up in the, in the early years of the war in 2011. There's a guy named, um, oh, geez, I think his name is Lesh. I have his book on my, uh, on my bookshelf. And can you look it up real quick, Ian? Sure. I, I just want to give this guy the name of the book. Um, and I, I think it's called Syria and the Fall of the House of Assad. And clearly the fall of the House of Assad didn't quite happen, right? Uh, this is an expert you know, making very um, you know, intelligent commentary on Syria. Um, but you know, we all got a lot of things wrong about is the Is this war. right here? Syria, the Fall of the House yes, of Assad by it. David W. Lesh. Yeah, that was a very good book. Um, he is a, a real Syria expert, spent a lot of time over there. Um, and there are others, uh, there are other um, experts, people who know about Syria. Um, there's another guy who's on uh, Twitter. Um, I can't remember his name. And it's not uh, Charles. It's not, it's not Jihad Lister. <laughs> He's, he, this guy is an actual academic. And actually, he doesn't like Lister either. I mean, nobody likes Lister <laughs> because he, he's on the take. But um, that's one book you could look at. That's a good starting point to cool. learn about Syria before the war, in the run-up to the war. And then and then my guess is in a book like that, if you look at the work cited at the back, you could sure. probably go down the rabbit Ab- hole. Absolutely. And this is a guy he interviewed um, President Assad many times as well. 
Um, so Which, if you want to humble brag, you did as well. I, I did, but I, I, not nearly as in-depth as, as this author did. Um, you know, my book is interesting for some commentary. I don't think it's authoritative on the Syrian civil war. You know, sure. you can read about my experiences with the with the Kurds and, and, you know, going around Damascus. There's some info in there. But that article, um, as far as like the, the rebel groups and the American involvement in them, I would recommend you um, my article um, on NewsRep. Um, and, uh, geez, what's the name of the article now? Let's look. It's like special forces, sabotage, White House policy gone disastrously wrong. Um, something of that nature. Um, there it is. There we go. Yeah, you pretty much had it right on the, on the money. U.S. special forces, sabotage, White House policy gone disastrously wrong with covert ops in Syria. It's from 2016. And, yeah, so it's I'll, a little... Uh, it's I'll a, look to it. It's going to be a little dated because it's 2016, but it provides some really good commentary um, and insider info about the American involvement in Syria and with covert action programs specifically. So it's not going to tell you the whole story about what was going on in the, civil, uh, the Syrian civil war, but it will give you some good insights into that particular topic. Nice. All right. And then this last one, uh, comments on our interview with Jose Tablada. Uh, good morning. I was listening to episode 445 talking about Uni- United States Marine Corps recon and force recon. When Jack, when Jack asked what the difference between recon BN and force recon, uh, I was glad he asked it. I've never served with recon or force recon. I was in a few scout sniper platoons and did the MEU RNS mission on one of our MEUs. I was on as well at teaching RNS for a short time. What Jose said was correct, but I was hoping he explained it a little more. Yes, recon battalion. Oh, BN, I should say, is battalion. I'm getting screwed up my uh, abbreviations here. Yes, recon battalion in the division uh, commander's recon asset. I might have missed him saying it, but force recon in the 80s and early 90s was the exponentiary force as well as who they work for. Right. Force went out with fleet. And so they were like the DA, the direct action element on the ship. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and SEALs used to go out with a fleet too, but then they stopped doing that. He says it's also tied to what the commander's needs were. Back then, the recon battalion worked in the area of influence and forced re- and forced recon was further to the area of interest. I learned all of this as uh, part of my first scout sniper platoon's in-house course before going to scout sniper school a year later. Uh, I am definitely not a writer and hope this makes sense. Just wanted to add some amplifying remarks to what Jose said to Jack's question. Uh, Semper Fidelis, uh, Mike Carr. Cool. Cool. So that's, you know, pretty self-explanatory. And then I want to mention this one more time because I mentioned it on the last episode, but we've covered Kratom on here with Peter Guidry, who's a great guy who also congratulated me on, you know, my work here at the site and, and on the podcast. But this just goes, this is like a perfect example of fake news because I saw this from NBC. Actually, a listener sent it to me. And the big headline is this herbal supplement Kratom is tied to more U.S. deaths. And then right under it, U.S. health officials say overdose deaths involving the herbal supplement Kratom have caused 91 deaths in 27 states. So 91 deaths, that's pretty alarming. Then you read on here, though, and in the third paragraph, most who died had also taken heroin, fentanyl, and, or other drugs. But Kratom was, the, Kratom was the only substance detected in seven of the deaths. So how the fuck is that the headline? That, you know, seven deaths is extremely minuscule. Right. Seven deaths happen all the time from all types of things. Uh, you know, so, I mean, to me, uh, this might sound conspiratorial, but it just sounds like the medical industry trying to spin that Kratom is killing people. And 
I, you know, I'm totally objective on this subject because I've never done it. Someone like Peter Gidry will say it, it very much helps PTSD and alleviate those issues. Others will say it's snake oil and it's not doing anything. I really don't know. I've never used it, but I don't believe it's killing people. And and this certainly doesn't offer any evidence that it's killing yeah, people. Yeah, the article is hysterical. It's like fucking if I'm shooting up heroin, but I drank a beer. <laughs> like, beer is killing people. Yeah. Well, and the thing is, beer actually is killing people. I don't think there's anyone that could that they could say definitively died of a Kratom overdose. Right, right. Uh, I don't even know these handful of people that they mentioned here definitively died. But, like, the problem is this. Kratom and uh, all these things, these kava bars, even CBD oil, appeal to people who are um, getting off opioids. Right, right. So a lot of these people who are recovering addicts, as we know, go back to the things that they were on. And they're probably trying to alleviate this stuff with Kratom and other substances. They get back on heroin, and unfortunately, a lot of these people die. But it has, I would say it has nothing to do with Kratom. Yeah, that's hilarious. Yeah, and, and like I said, it's from this is from actually not only NBC News. It is originally by the Associated Press. Although the Associated Press, I don't know if that's the headline from them, because the article states right. the reality. But whoever came up with the headline, herbal supplement Kratom is tied to more U.S. deaths, and then U.S. health officials say overdose deaths involving the herbal supplement Kratom have caused 91 deaths in 27 states. I mean, I guess that's what U.S. health officials, how they're spinning it, but I would st- still say that it's not an accurate headline. I mean, I, I don't know, but I suspect you're probably right, Ian, that probably the way that came about was that some PR firm hired by pharmaceutical companies probably blasts out emails to like all every media outlet known to man and see who will bite. You yeah. know, and they probably present themselves as like Medical Association of America or something like that. You know, doctors speak out against Kratom. And, and then some journalist finds like, you know, wakes up in the morning is like, fuck, I got to write a story. I got to get something up on the website. <laughs> they, find the, they see the press release. There we go. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that ties to pretty much everything when something gains popularity and the science isn't there to back up what people want to say. So the example I'm thinking of is with vaping. All right. I, I don't know what the long term conflicts are going to be with vaping. Vaping. I don't think any of us do because it's a relatively new thing. It turns you into a douche. <laughs> but um, there there are all that. There's all that stuff out there saying that vaping is going to lead to this thing called popcorn lung. And, and I don't from what I've read and I have read about it. There's no real evidence that leads to that from what I know. Um, you know, vaping is is basically water vapor and nicotine. Nicotine right. is an addicting substance, but it's not a deadly substance, and it's not what's causing lung cancer and all this stuff. Um, that's from tobacco, as we know. And dude, even if it's like fifty percent more healthy or less dangerous than cigarettes, it's a very good thing. Yeah, I would I would say it's almost completely more, and I don't want to call it healthy, but from what I know, being addicted to nicotine is almost like being addicted to caffeine. You can get addicted to caffeine, but it's not going to kill you. Right, right. You know, and and it's hard for people to get off. But tobacco, yes, tobacco will kill you. You know, people like my grandpa with emphysema from smoking cigarettes. It wasn't from his addiction to nicotine. It was all the tobacco that he smoked. It's from actually smoking. You're setting something on fire and breathing it in and inhaling it. Yeah. So I don't I don't think the science is there on, on what the long-term effects are of vaping, but I do think there's a lot of hysteria out yeah. there and probably a lot of it caused by the tobacco industry. Yeah, man. I mean, it's just, it's hilarious to see some of these industries disrupted and people freaking out about it. Yeah. 
Um, all right. With that, I am going to wrap things up here. Uh, be sure to check out Crate Club. It's a club for men, by men, of gear handpicked by special operations veterans. We have the Dash One Crate, the Pro Crate, and those looking for the Holy Grail of gear subscriptions, our Premium Crate. These are all available at CrateClub.us, and right now we are running an extremely limited promotion of 20% off for all SoftRep Radio listeners. This is the biggest discount we've ever made available, and we don't know how long we can keep this promotion live. So get on it right now. That's CrateClub.us. Coupon code SoftRep for 20% off any gearbox. Sign up today. Also, as a reminder for those listening, now is the time to sign up for the Spec Ops channel, our channel that offers the most exclusive shows, documentaries, and interviews covering the most exciting military content today. The Spec Ops channel premiere show Training Cell follows former special operations forces as they participate in the most advanced training in the country, everything from shooting schools, defensive driving, jungle and winter warfare, climbing, and much more. Again, you can watch this content by subscribing to the Spec Ops channel at specopschannel.com and take advantage of a membership for only $4.99 a month. That's specopschannel.com. Sign up today. Last, if you're not already signed up at the News Rep, you've got to get on board expert reporting and actionable intelligence from your favorite writers you've heard on here, like Jack Murphy, Alex Hollings, and the many guest writers who pop in as well. Unlimited access to News Rep on any device, unlimited access to the app, Join the War Room community, invitations to our exclusive events, and it's all ad-free for members. We have a trial offer right now where you can get up to four weeks for only $1.99. Sign up now at thenewsrep.com. That's thenewsrep.com. By the way, for those not in the know, we have our SoftRep Radio app, which you can download for free on iPhone or Android, and our homepage. As always, softrepradio.com, at softrepradio on Twitter, on Instagram. Thank you to all of you who sent me encouraging messages uh, and posted on, you know, my Facebook, facebook.com slash Ian Scotto radio or my Twitter at Ian Scotto and uh, saw the announcement. I really appreciate it from the listeners, from the guests that we've had on. And that's it. Pick up Murphy's law. We're going to end the show with that. Uh, Murphy's law is out today or yesterday for those listening. now. loves it. And uh, if actually you're, like I said, if you're a serious subscriber or you want to, you know, get that trial membership, you could probably listen back to Jack's episode on uh, WellCal on Patriot 125, where you're off to right now. Right on, man. Cool. Great show. Thank you. You've been listening to Soft Rep Radio. New episodes up every Wednesday and Friday. Follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at Soft Rep Radio.